Good morning and welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Braith. Uh, as always, on a Saturday, joined by Mick Lowe's. How are you, Mick? Very good, Steve. Very excited. One more sleep till tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, very uh, very much looking forward to being at St James's tomorrow because um, I think as everybody's of the opinion, uh, I think the atmosphere will be out of this world. And it's the dawning of a new era. And ironically, I was just thinking to myself this morning, it only dawned on me about uh, half an hour ago, 14th of August, 1993, 29 years ago. Uh, there we were. I'm sure you were there. I was there um, in the stands for, for Newcastle's first ever game in the Premier League. You know, we were we would you know, we were on this upward and onward ride with with Sir John and Freddie um, Keegan and McDermott in the stand along from me because it was being redeveloped. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, the opposition, of course. So there is a certain amount of symmetry tomorrow. You know, the the first game in the all-new Premier League. I mean, it had been running a season, of course, but Newcastle's first ever game in the in the Premier League against Tottenham Hotspur back in August 1993. Here we are, as I say, 29 years on, on the cusp of a new revolution, on the cusp of a, a new dawning for, for Newcastle United. And let's hope it's as exciting and as... Well, maybe just a little bit more, but I, I would take the success that we had first time around under KK um, and Sir John and, and Freddie uh, in the immediate. But uh, yeah, let's hope it again. It's the it's the dawning of a new era. The new owners have had the keys to the door for just over a week now. Um, yeah, we've we've seen a lot of them. Uh, they've been out and about. We saw mm. footage of them meeting the staff at St James's, and we we got a brief outline that they just said to everybody, "It's as you were, Lee John, mm. down to the T." Tea lady, um, you know, you, you've all got your jobs and don't worry, um, don't panic, no major changes coming. Um, mm. We saw them then up at the training ground. Obviously, the players had a few days off with uh, international duty, etc. And Brucey had a couple of days away in Cheshire. We then saw yeah. them up at the training ground. A lot was made of that uh, visit because obviously we saw um, we saw Amanda, we saw Mia, Dad, her husband, and uh, we saw uh, another one of the representatives on the board, Barkley. And we also saw David Bick, the, uh, the head of comms, uh, all up at the ground, up at the, up at the training ground, walking around. Mia Dad seemed to have a decent right foot on him, it has to be said. But yeah, I saw that. A lot, a lot was made of... A lot was made of that visit, going to meet the players. Brucey, of course, um, everybody, I guess, um, you know, every fan was was probably awaiting the next yellow bar along the bottom of Sky News to say that he was out of a job. Mm. But it hasn't it, it hasn't happened. But let's we'll come to that in a second. What did you yeah. make of the fact that we've just we've you know we've been saturated with Newcastle content this week, Mick? Yeah, I mean, as, as an overview of, of the whole week, I mean, you know, not not an awful lot. As a lot of it has, has surprised me. Um, you know, as I say, you know, Newcastle in the in the thirty years I was there, twenty five years covering the club. Um, you know, it, it was always, you know, the circus was always in town every two or three weeks for one reason or another. You know, people used to say to me. God almighty, I do your job in Birmingham, I do your job in Manchester. We get a big signing once every two years. We get a bit of controversy once every three years. You know, you know, you know. they used to say, you know, your job, you're in, you know, front and centre every other week with one story or another story. So, you know, it didn't surprise me. And it is a huge story. I mean, let's, let's make no bones about it. You know, obviously we're directly involved in it because it's Newcastle United. But, you know, if it was any one of the other Premier League clubs, who'd been bought by a, an, a set of investors with as much money um, as th these investors have, um, I'm sure the rest of the country would be, and we would be sitting up and taking notice. Um, in terms of how I think the first week's gone from a Newcastle perspective, I, I did put something online, I think Monday, Tuesday, 
that I was a bit disappointed we hadn't heard more from them. Amanda Staveley subsequently, I think, came out and did a, a short sort of statement come interview where she sort of outlined um, exactly what they had in mind in the in the short term. And I think that was fair enough because clearly, clearly um, it will be softly, softly. You know, it will be a case uh, of, of walking before you can run, if not walking before you can jog and, and then run. And this is going to take an awful lot of time, Steve. You know, this is this is a long, long, long term project. Um, so as, as much as people wanted Steve Bruce sacked, people wanted news of this. I wanted news of what sort of structure it might take. I think fair. I think fair play to them. You know, they got themselves out there in the marketplace. I mean, Ashley did that, to be honest, you know, early on. You know, when I think about the parallels between 14 years ago and I talked last week about you know, let's not kid ourselves. There was there was just as much optimism when Mike Ashley took over. You know, a billionaire had replaced a millionaire. Um, he was a he was a football man. He was British. He wasn't a, a Chinese or a Russian oligarch or an American investor. He was British. So we were excited. He was at the training ground. He was out in town. He was in nightclubs. So there was a similar amount of PR being done by Mike Ashley at that time. I think these lot of uh, they seem to be more credible. I would. That's that's maybe with hindsight, I have to say, because of what we subsequently learned about Mike Ashley. Um, but they do seem to be proper people and proper investors. I like the way that they haven't pulled the trigger on Steve Bruce. People might shoot me down for that. But I don't think if there's if there's if there's no need, if they've got nobody else in mind. And I'm sure sooner or later they will bring somebody in, because, as I said last week, a new broom does sweep clean. It doesn't matter which business you're in, which which workplace you're in. If a new boss comes in, they generally have their own ideas and their own people. So there will be no great surprise about Steve Bruce being replaced as and when he is. But for me, it would have been churlish to get rid of him just for the sake of it, to get rid of him just to appease the fans, to get rid of him just to just to make themselves popular with the supporters. But most of all, to leave him on 999 games. I don't care what people say. I've said this a million times on here. I don't understand where the lack of respect for Steve Bruce comes from. Believe me, Steve, you can dislike somebody, you can not like somebody, you can not rate somebody, but you can have respect for them. Alan Shearer got dog's abuse wherever he went from opposing supporters. Do you not think secretly they respected him? Alex Ferguson, who was Steve Bruce's manager, I didn't particularly like Alex Ferguson, but respect him. My God, I respected him. I can think of half a dozen other people off the top of my head who I don't particularly like, but I do respect. And I do respect for what they've achieved. And as he made the point yesterday, and I think he was almost trying to just remind people, you know, he's, he's been a thousand games in charge of football teams. Idiots don't take charge of football clubs for a thousand games. He played 950 games at the very highest level. He's won every trophy in the game. Surely for me, that gives you or, you know, it, it warrants some level of respect. As a football man, I have respect. I have respect for him as a person. I have respect for him as a footballer. So I think had had they been... Had they had they taken the easy decision um, and and got rid just to make themselves popular, I think I would have had an awful lot of less time for them than I have for the fact that they've said, right, there's no need, there's no need. Let him have a thousand game. That we haven't got anybody lined up. So what's the point of making the change? We have to, we you know, we have to back this up, Steve, by convincing ourselves that. Actually, it doesn't really matter if Steve Bruce is in charge tomorrow or not. I think the threat of relegation has pretty much gone. I think the good times are around the corner. 
So you can see where Steve Bruce's frustrations coming from, because, you know, as I said last week, it's one thing to be in charge of an ailing club with an owner who, who doesn't care because you're thinking, well, I mean, Rafa Benitez won a Champions League. I'm telling you, Steve, Rafael Benitez, as great a manager as he is, wouldn't have won the Papa John's trophy with Newcastle while Mike Ashley was in charge. No manager was ever going to win anything. No manager was ever going to succeed with Mike Ashley in charge. So Mike Ashley leaves and the one manager who's the incumbent who thinks happy days finds himself or will find himself out of a job. So a lot of what they've done, I've liked. I would have, I would have liked to have heard a little bit more of the, of, of the structure and the plan going forward. But I'm fully respectful of the fact that they see it as a long term. And they probably, probably haven't got all their ducks in a, in a line at the minute. They probably, you know, they may well have been caught out by how swiftly the takeover happened. And, and they may well not have sat down with, those who plan training grounds or those who redesign Newcastle or heaven forbid, and I'll probably, we'll probably come on to this, whether they build a new stadium, which I would be absolutely and totally against. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think, I think as a first week goes, it's been softly, softly, but patience is, is something that football fans don't generally have, Steve. It'll be interesting to see how patient fans remain over the next weeks months and dare I say it years I've got to agree Mick I mean you know I think social media is a big problem I was discussing this at the gym this morning with one of my mates and um, I said if it wasn't for the fact that I need social media to promote events or books yeah. that I've written um, I wouldn't be on social media no uh, because I hate it I absolutely despise what it's become I hate I have the way and I yeah, hate I and, and you're on Twitter Mick and you I know you sit and watch and you, you comment on the other occasion the crap that I've had to put up with with yeah. this takeover uh, has really, really annoyed me. And but the point, it, but the point I was going to make, Steve, just very quickly, yeah. is that the 25 years, although social media wasn't going for those 25 years, but certainly the last 10, 15 years of my time working in the Northeast, I avoided it like the plague. I almost yeah. left the BBC. I had raging rows with the BBC because they insisted I was on Twitter. They insisted I was on Facebook because it got publicity for yeah. the radio station. I said, you're joking, aren't you? You know, am I going to leave myself open to every Tom, Dick and Harry? Now, as it happens, when I left the BBC and I started doing little ventures of my own, like putting Kevin Nolan on in Newcastle, like you, I needed social media then for publicity and some sort of exposure. But if you don't need it, my, my argument would always be steer clear of it. Yeah, it's awful. It's poisonous. And that, I feel, isn't a true reflection and I've said this before, of the fan base. Mm. That was the point I was wanting to make, that right. you know that there's a lot of stuff which is said on social media, um, which ultimately gets taken out of context by lazy journalists who then write it up as a fact. And ultimately, it's not. Because if you go to see the guys who get down the Labour club yeah. or the guys who sit, you know, the guys, you know, the guys who go to wherever, who don't have social mm. media, they've got no idea of what's going on. Mm. It's why no. none of these protests and things ever work because no. your people are just too lazy. They set up a Facebook group or they set up something on Twitter. They get 2,000 followers. They think they're, they think they're mm. talking for the fan base and it's utter mm. rubbish. Um, but Steve Bruce, let's get back to Steve Bruce. Yeah. The, um, the Steve Bruce situation, I, I agree with you to a degree. I think respect 100%. You've got to respect mm. anybody who's had a 1,000 games as a manager and nearly yep. a thousand games as a player, and won everything domestically and European uh, and in European level. I think one hundred percent. But I do think 
uh, unfortunately for him, he laid himself wide open. We've had this discussion before with, you mm. know, with the fact that, you know, he was quoted when he took the Sunderland job, and he never wanted the Newcastle job. He was always on a hiding and nothing coming here. But mm. I think what has happened over the last um, seven days, I think personally, is really unfair on Steve Bruce mm. um, because the media, and I've watched it all this week. I've, I've you know, I've lived for a couple of years without even watching Sky Sports News because it, it was only ever bad news about Newcastle. I've watched it this week. It's been saturation level of Newcastle, the new era, the dawn of the new era. No surprise because they've got the game on, on Sunday. They're trying to publicise that and get as many people watching it as possible. But Keith Downey, and this isn't, an, and I'm not attacking Keith Downey here because I like mm. Keith. I've got a good relationship with him. He's a great guy. But Keith has, has more or less had to stand there because he works for Sky, saying our understanding is he's going, mm. he's going, he's going, he's going. And by the time it got yesterday and the club had made that statement to say Steve Bruce will be in charge of his 1,000th game at St. James's Park, mm. um, they had to backtrack and quickly, as did everybody in the media. And I heard Steve Bruce yesterday and I felt, I, I did feel mm. that he was vindicated in what he had to say. And, and I think what people need to remember is, and of course, I'm not privy to what's said at press conferences. I don't go to them. But what I'll say is that we only ever hear the answers mm. to, to, to the managerial questions. And Steve Bruce was clearly quite annoyed yesterday. Again, um, it's some of the questions that were cut and edited by Sky and other media outlets. But ultimately, we never hear the questions asked. I would love it if these questions, we could hear them all and what was actually asked, because some of those reactions were clear, clearly they were a journalist or a specific journalist, whether it be a, a writer, whether it be somebody on TV. We don't know, because sometimes we don't even hear the question that's asked. But clearly somebody had annoyed Steve Bruce. You've got to feel sorry for him, because it's, it's a bit of pressure there, isn't there, uh, Mick? And I know he's getting well paid for it. Well, you, I, just think it was, I just think it's undeserved. The bottom line is, you can only take too much. And you can only take so much. Uh, and at the end of the day, he knows, and even the journalists know, and Sky know. And it, it, I mean, it's, 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 let's put it this way. Nobody has come out from the new owners and said Steve Bruce will keep his job. Steve Bruce is our man. Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce will be in charge for the foreseeable future. We all know. Steve Bruce knows. That's why he did the, 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 the interview with The Telegraph as I mentioned last week with, with Luke Edwards, because I think he quite rightly wanted to get over his point before the axe fell in terms of he's been proud to be manager of Newcastle United. He's not bitter about Newcastle United. But you, you can only take too much. And I'll tell you something else about the, the, the scenario you're talking about there in terms of who asks questions and how they ask questions. I mentioned this about three weeks ago. The one thing about Zoom questions and the one thing about questions being done remotely is that journalists can be even more cowardly than many of them have been previously. You know, people used to shout up from the back of a room. You know, a manager would be behind a podium on a stage. You know, he, he wouldn't necessarily hear who asked the question. Now, the difference with radio is and, and, and a lot of newspapers have attacked radio and, and, and broadcasters this week for being rah-rah merchants and, and playing down the human rights because they think they're serious journalists because they think that they are the top end of journalism. They never sit down eyeball to eyeball with the manager and have to let the manager be in a position to hear clearly 
and be out in be in a position to to reach out and touch and respond. You know, so it's got even worse than it used to be, where in packs they would hunt managers because one would ask an easy question, one would ask a more difficult question. Sooner or later, they'd get round to the question they wanted asking. If you're sitting eyeball to eyeball and a microphone between you and the person, you have to genuinely ask the question and there's no hiding place. Now with Zoom and remote questions, you can ask any question you like. The guy can't even see you half the time, never mind respond to you. I was thinking about, you know, yesterday, how how much everybody built up his answer about, or you guys will be feeling the heat. I mean, you, you think you think he picked up a Kalashnikov and pointed it at the room and threatened to blow the re the rest of them away. You know, the, the, the furor with which Steve Bruce was receiving criticism for just saying, well, I bet you lot are getting a bit of heat from your, from your editors because you got it wrong. I'm still in a job. I can remember in the... I mean, I remember Alan Oliver wrote a story once upon a time saying that Kenny Dalgleish was considering moving training grounds. You know, when Maiden Castle was Maiden Castle and it was the centre of the universe for Newcastle fans, thousands went down, watched them training. Ollie ran a story saying that there was a chance that the training ground might ultimately get moved. As it happened, it did ultimately get moved. It got, it got, it got moved to, um, uh, sorry, that was it. Yeah. Maiden Castle was at Durham university. It got moved to Chesley street. Anyway, he ran this story. He came in one morning. We used to go down to Durham for the, for the press conference. Kenny Dalgley saw him coming and absolutely launched himself at Alan Oliver, told him in no uncertain terms where he needed to go, how quickly he needed to go there, and that he shouldn't come back in a hurry. Absolute venom. You've never heard anything like it. And it happened regularly because there was, there was contact between managers and journalists. Nowadays, it doesn't happen. So everything that Steve Bruce did yesterday, I thought, fair enough. If you're going to go, have a go, you know, at least have a parting shot of some description. So I didn't have a problem with it at all. I have more of a problem with journalists who, yeah, I mean, they're like vultures. They are like vultures. They are basically picking at the bones of some poor unfortunate who's a Newcastle fan. OK, he hasn't done a very good job. OK, he was very, very lucky to still be in a job at one point last season. But and going back to the fans... You know, the eyes of the world are on Newcastle tomorrow. And going back to those who want to start singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. How do you think the rest of the world's going to look at Newcastle fans who have just been delivered with the best piece of news any football fan in the world could have been delivered with? That they've got investors who are going to inject billions into their football club. And all they can do, first game up, is sing, you're getting sacked in the morning to a beleaguered manager who's going to go sooner or later, hasn't done particularly well, but is one of their own and is due respect because of how long he's been involved, 43 years in the game, every day. Just be careful. Just be careful what you wish for. And also, you're better than that. You're better than that. Let him bow out respectfully. Whoever comes in, comes in. But at the minute, it's about acting respectfully and just seeing what's around the corner in terms of the new investors and a new manager.
Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, Mick, we are both singing off the, the same hymn sheet here. Um, my, you know, there's major concerns about t- tomorrow in the sense that, you know, a party could be spoiled by, you know, Spurs, Newcastle could lose, you know, people will turn on the manager again. And, you know, this is football, though. This is football. This is what happens. The manager is the man who picks the team. Uh, people will have seen his press conference, the edited version, and, and, and make their own mind up what they think. People in the chat have already made the mind up. People want Bruce out, and that's that's understandable. But what you're saying really is, is right. We've had new owners come in. And yeah. I'm, I am delighted that they haven't come in and gone with a knee-jerk reaction to appease Absolutely. the fans, made a stupid appointment, um, bringing somebody in who they think is... So they, could be the, they could have been the first manager knocking at the door mm. and they could have gone, yeah, we'll take him. And, yeah. and, and then suddenly... You've got a two-year, three-year deal for somebody who's absolutely useless, can't deal with the stress of a, of a job like Newcastle United, and then we're in a big, big mess. Um, and, Steve, and, and Steve, it doesn't matter who the manager is. The players will remain the same for at least, you know, two or well, three. Yeah, and this is the windows. 15, we've got, we've now got, but this is the thing. When you, when you wake up from your, your, your self-induced takeover celebration hangover, what we've got to remember is we have got... 15 games now, between now and January. Some bloody hard games, Mick. Yeah. And Chelsea we've in still, two weeks' time. We've still got the same team. Yeah. We've got the same players. We've got the same problem up front. Mm. We've got the same problem in the midfield. We've got the same problem at the back. And at the moment, we've got the same problem in the dugout. Mm. So this isn't suddenly going to be no. Amanda and Mia Dad in some kind of... Uh, and PIF and the Rubens in some kind of fairy tale, you know, putting a wand over St James's Park mm. and going, suddenly we're we're going to be world beaters. We're we're still right in the crap, mm. and we're still we're still second bottom. We're we're still in a relegation dogfight, yeah. and, and and it's not going to change overnight. And we've just which got to hope that there's a bounce on Sunday and the fans can play their part. Mm. And, and which is why, you know, I I spoke to a, a former player, former captain of the club yesterday, who'd had conversations with, with the new investors. And quite rightly and, and pretty predictably, he said, the one thing you've got to do is, is manage expectations. And, you know, you've got to manage the fans' expectations. And going back to what you just said there, patience is going to be a huge word in this. They could get, I said two weeks ago, they could get beat against Tottenham. They could easily, very easily get beat at Crystal Palace. They could then be, you know, get beaten at home off Chelsea in three weeks' time. This isn't going to turn. This needs it needs patience, and it needs people just to keep reminding themselves that you know, hopefully, hopefully, it will turn. But you know, I used I used the word at the top of the at the top of the podcast about oh, I'm very excited. It, it, you know, it's only it's only one sleep to St James's tomorrow. I was thinking the other day. Imagine being a young Newcastle fan and saying, "Dad, Dad, when are we going to win anything?" And it's like it'll be fifteen hundred sleeps, son, till till Newcastle do anything. You know, it's going to be five years, four or five years before anything seriously happens, before anything seriously changes. So, you know, you, you, you need to bide your time. You need to, to, to be patient and just think to yourself, OK, OK, it was worse, but it's getting better. And that's in the hope that it does get better. So there's, there's, there are one or two question marks. There are, you know, one or two unanswered questions um, that will... I suppose, pan out in the next maybe three or four years, but certainly won't pan out in the next three or four months. By the time we get to the the January window, it'll be very interesting to see the state of play. On that subject, by the way, of players, how ironic, how interesting or how cynical am I that all of a sudden 
Callum Wilson, John Joe Shelby, Jamal Lascelles and Joe Willock are available tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I know there's been a build-up and we know that they were on their way back. But yeah, I get you, Mick. I get you. I know exactly where you come from. OK, it's 11.25. Uh, we've got another 35 minutes of the show. I'm conscious of the fact we haven't really uh, taken any uh, messages from people. So I'll plug the sponsors and then we'll get into your uh, points and questions for Mick. Big thank you to SpiderVPN uh, for all your internet security. Uh, contact SpiderVPN. Google them. They're at the top of the search list. They are the boys to trust. Uh, I saw Al Waleed on uh, the Saudi channel plugging that the other day. So a uh, big shout out to Spider VPN and the boys. Uh, thanks to skipsandbins.com, telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract, free and pay as you go. Waste collection, and of course, they sent us that this week to celebrate the takeover. There is Sir Bobby uh, having a little kick around in the desert with the chaps. Big shout out as well to LNG Family Funeral Directors, 01913897245, and qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End, Newcastle. And two jab signature as well uh, for making all of our flyers. If you're a first time visitor to the channel, please subscribe. Over 500 new subscribers in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, welcome to everybody. Uh, please click the thumb up to like the video. Click share to share to your social media. Drop into the comments to uh, speak to like-minded Newcastle fans or to get a question on screen. But hit the Newcastle Legends logo. That's the most important thing in the bottom right-hand corner. And you can subscribe for free. We do seven shows a week. Also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and of course on Podbean and other podcast providers. Got a few events coming up. Uh, and me and Mick, of course, uh, we'll be looking at doing some events together over the next 12 months as well. So wait and uh, wait until we announce them. Gavin Peacock, though, um, is taking part in a talk in to promote his book at the Irish Centre on the 29th of October. Then we have uh, 19th of November is our Christmas party um, with Supermac and Gibbo uh, on that night with the food bank uh, getting all the, uh, the proceeds on the night. And then Peter Beardsley is on at the 26th at the Irish Centre as well. Tickets for all three events, newcastlelegends.com. Uh, we have got a, a slightly bigger event, though, with Peter Beardsley, uh, which is selling rather well for Christmas, and that will be at the Tyne Theatre, and that is uh, in January next year. So get yourself along to that. Get yourself on a voucher and on the group on the tickets are on there. Ideal present for a Newcastle United fan, and of course, that will be Peter Beardsley and Mick Lowe's doing that. So looking forward to that. Don't forget the food bank uh, is operational. The match day bucket, NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk. You can make a donation into the match day bucket at any time, 365 days of the year. Uh, that is if you aren't able to get up to the food bank on Sunday. And I'm going to be rushing around like the proverbial blue backsided fly on Sunday because I've got Ben and Eubank up here in the morning. Bad timing and Newcastle and Sky moved the game, unfortunately. So um, I will be hopefully making an appearance down at the food bank on Sunday. I'm going to do a little bit of collecting for them before I go in uh, to uh, to watch the uh, the proceedings. But uh, yeah, I've got Ben and Eubank on. Looking forward to that. Should be uh, very interesting. First time those two have ever got back together. And don't forget as well, uh, Peter Beardsley is uh, running a soccer school uh, throughout half term, Monday the 25th to Friday the 29th of October, 10 till, uh, 10 till 4 each day. It's £15 a day or £60 for the week for your kids. Uh, all coaches are FA qualified and DPS checked. Please email pbsoccerschools at hotmail.com. That's pbsoccerschools at hotmail.com. Uh, and uh, 
honestly, well worth uh, getting along to that. If uh, you can't learn off Peter Beardsley, who, can't, who no. can you learn off? Uh, it'd be fantastic. And just want a big thank you to George Hayes again. Um, as everybody knows on social media, we always do once a week a T-shirt for the food bank. We've done this for 15 months now, and we will be announcing in December what our, you know, what our target um, that we've raised. This was unbelievable. George Hayes, for this just one letter T-shirt yesterday, paid £325 for the T-shirt to the food bank. Fantastic, mate. Absolutely thank you. So thank you again, George. I know you watch every show. Um, the next one is up uh, today on my Twitter. Uh, hashtag custodians. A nice <laughs> photograph of uh, Amanda and Mia Dad. That is going on to my Twitter today. So make sure you get a bid in and uh, the winner of that will be announced on the show on Friday. Okay, let's get into your comments. Uh, Harry uh, says, do you think if Lampard got the job and it didn't work out for him, mm -hmm. that it could backfire on the new owners in the sense that Lampard has an excellent relationship with Ruben, similar to the Ashley era? And I'm, I'm going to chuck this one in as well from Mark Henderson. He says, morning, lads. What does Mick think of Stephen Gerrard's comments yesterday where he didn't rule himself out of any potential job with Newcastle? So Lampard and, Lampard and Gerrard, obviously... You know, both played, you know, against each other, um, you know, in, in, a, in a decent era. Didn't mm. really achieve what they should have achieved for England, it has to be said. However, both have gone into management. Both have had a degree of success. Obviously, uh, Lampard down at Derby before he went to Chelsea and then I think was pretty much used by the owner before he was cast to one side. Yeah. He, was used, yeah. he was used when Chelsea couldn't sign anybody and then, you know, bring the youngsters in and then he was ditched when they were down, you know, down mid-table. Gerrard's gone to Scotland. Of course, you know, people can mimic the Scotland. Scottish game all the one. Celtic and yeah. Rangers are still a good standard. Um, and he's gone and done well. He's turned, turned the fortunes round of the Blues up there. So what do you make of those two names, Mick? And what do you make of those two points that people have made? I don't know, Steve. You know, it, it comes back to the old, um, the old adage about you know, football's a game of opinions, and you know, people, you know, people will like Lampard, people will like Gerrard. Um, I've never, I've never been a hundred percent convinced with the idea that you know, superstar players make superstar managers, uh, and, and in fact, the evidence is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly over the years um, that um, you know, great players don't make great managers. And I, I had a theory, and I've had a theory for. A lot of years now that one of the reasons for that is that and I've come across and I've worked with with both sides of the equation. Um, I tend to find and it doesn't take a really a genius to work this out when you think about it, that if you've been a superstar player uh, who's won everything in the game and have a CV that's to die for and the likes of Lampard um, and Gerard pretty much have that. I don't believe then you've got the hunger to win medals and win more trophies when you become a manager. I don't know if that's if that is the reason, but there is definitely a correlation between the top top managers. I mean, in in, in recent years, um, you know, the, the likes of Arsene Wenger, um, you know, Alex Ferguson, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, never really achieved the huge heights. Uh, I suppose Guardiola bucks the trend to a degree because he he, he won an awful lot at Barcelona, uh, but Guardiola in many ways seems a, a little bit of a one-off. But if you look at Klopp, Klopp, Klopp was a pretty average player in Germany. Tuchel, who's now taken over and done very well at Chelsea, you know, uh, he, he, he's, he's pretty mediocre in terms of being a player. And I've always had that question mark against whether, um, you know, superstar players have the hunger when they go into management. I, th I think the, the pluses on it are that of a generation like Lampard and Gerrard, and Guardiola to a degree, although he's obviously a little bit older. 
I think they find it easier to deal with modern day players. I think I think dealing with modern day players and, and the demands on a manager these days are very, very different to, to old school. You know, I've talked before about Steve Bruce, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, he's he's of a generation, sort of the same age as me. He's he's of a he's of a generation, two generations beyond three generations almost beyond the players that they're managing. And I think he finds it difficult. Uh, and I think I think it is a different world. You know, social media, you've touched upon agents, obviously, I'm, you know, and you're not just talking about, you know, Steve Bruce's generation. I mean, I remember Bobby coming into to, to Newcastle and saying how, you know, he just couldn't frighten players anymore. You know, they've all got superstar cars. They've all got superstar houses. Um, you know, they, they, they all just dismiss any criticism and say, speak to my agent. So it is a very, very difficult juggling act. I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of what we will see going on at Newcastle, I'll be interested to see how it compares with Manchester City, uh, Steve, because you know the only comparable, really comparable scenario between what's happening at Newcastle and as what happened uh, and what's happened previously, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for for templates. You're looking for previous um, um, situations where this has happened. You know, they didn't really do that. I mean, they went straight in for Mancini. You know, they, 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 tended, they tended to go for tried and tested and weren't afraid to go for foreign managers as well. So I can see where there would be an argument for bringing in an interim manager. You know, we've just said it there. Nothing's going nothing's gonna to seriously, seriously change at Newcastle for the next two or three years, maybe, while they're sorting out the infrastructure, while they're sorting out the playing squad. Sooner or later, I think there will come a moment where they will have to take the step to superstar manager and they will be able to attract superstar manager. But at the minute, as Jonathan Woodgate said yesterday, they're not in a position to uh, to attract superstar player. Jurgen Klopp said yesterday as well, you know, give it time and they could be a major, major force in the Premier League. So it's really a case of whether you bring in an interim manager or whether you bring in somebody who's prepared to come now and be the talisman, be the guy who sort of takes it from day one and goes with it and goes through transfer window one, transfer window two, transfer window three and starts building the club. Now, I don't see anybody of any huge pedigree coming while the while the while the Newcastle United movement, for want of a better term, is in its infancy, I think they'll probably bring in an interim manager um, to look after it, to nurture it. Say to them, look, if if you do incredibly well, it's yours to keep. Alternatively, you're warming the seat for somebody who's going to come in when the training ground's built, when the ground is sorted, um, when we've got a squad that's worthy of challenging for major honours. So it's a very, very difficult one, Steve. It's a very difficult one. And as much as anything, you know, it won't be necessarily about who they want. It's who's available and who wants to come to Newcastle. Yeah, I agree. What have you made of the uh, the reaction of some of the other managers? I mean, Klopp's gone quite hard on the whole thing. You mentioned Klopp. So let's concentrate on him. What, what have you made of that? Well, let's be honest, Steve. I mean, you know, um, at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, Football, 21st century football, is a business, you know, which is why I said before about, you know, it, it's a different world. You know, football is is one element of it, but essentially it's a business. So 
without wanting to bring it down to basics or, or, or brass tacks, it's, it's a bit like having the top six shops in a town centre and you're making a very nice living and, you, and you've got a very nice um, um, uh, turnover uh, in terms of, of, of sales, etc. And all of a sudden, somebody builds a dirty, great big supermarket on the corner. Um, and that's where the, the Klops of this world and the Levies of this world are coming from. You know, they're trying to protect their business. They're trying to protect um, their their commodity. Um, you know, whether you like it or not, they that you know they want to try as as much as is possible to guarantee their success. And the one thing that is has jeopardised their chances of long term success in the last week is Newcastle United being taken over by a set of investors who have so much more money than they have. It's untrue. It's absolutely untrue. I mean, you look at the wealth. It cannot be understated, Steve, the wealth that Newcastle have potentially with these investors. It blows everybody else out of the water. It really does. So, you know, Klopp's sitting there comfortably. Guardiola's sitting there comfortably. You know, Tuchel and Chelsea are thinking we're set for the next 10 years. They've talked about a European breakaway because they're trying to, again, um, you know, milk football for as much as they can as businesses in terms of revenue stream. Um, and all of a sudden, there's some new kids on the block who could potentially make them look like paupers. So mm. I, I, I get it. I think I think Klopp, to be fair was very fair. I think Klopp was very fair because what Klopp said was the truest of all. And that is, if they do it properly, if they do it seriously, they'll be treated with respect. And in six years time, they may seriously be a contender and they may seriously threaten the, the, the dominance that the top four or top six have got at the minute. Um, the others have been a bit knee jerky, a bit sulky, a bit whatever. But, but Klopp to me made sense. You know, Klopp, because Klopp, has been both sides of the fence. Klopp has been at Mainz and Kaiserslautern or wherever he was in Germany at a pauper football club. You know, he's made his way up through the grades as a manager. He's made... Got you there, Mick. I think you must have got a phone call. Can you hear us? Oh, we've lost you. We've lost you. We've lost your sound, mate. You might have to go out and come back in. Sometimes that happens with mobile phones, mate. No worries. I'll take you out, bring him back in. OK, um, just a, an update on what we're going to be doing over the next uh, couple of days as well. As always, we'll have uh, plenty of content on NUFC Matters channel. Um, but tomorrow we will be doing Match Day Live, uh, which will be um, starting an hour or so before kickoff, as usual. Uh, you'll be able to join Daz and the lads uh, and... Uh, the court will be taking you through the game tomorrow, which should be should be quite an enjoyable day. The build-up, uh, they'll be talking about the team, of course, looking ahead to uh, the fixture and talking about the takeover. So match day live, uh, we'll be starting around about half past three. Daz and the lads will be talking you through the game. So if you want to join us, uh, please uh, do. And, and the five-minute rant, of course, which has been a, a big part of the show, uh, we've talked about... <laughs> Talked about this internally about what we do with it because I think a rant probably isn't going to be the right thing you would think moving forward. So we've changed it to the fans forum. So uh, Chris Hall and Pete Davy will continue uh, to uh, do that show. Looking forward to uh, to seeing it. It's always good to see new faces on there, and that is an opportunity for you as a supporter 
to actually come onto our platform and give your views. Give your views about what you think about Newcastle United. Uh, so well worth uh, popping on. That is every Monday night, uh, round about half past seven. Uh, uh, I will uh, sort of show out with Holly at some point this week. It will probably be Wednesday night. Uh, need to need to speak to Holly about that, but uh, we will probably do Wednesday night instead because obviously with Newcastle playing tomorrow and the match day live on, it's going to be a little bit difficult to do that. So that will be the AIM Fans Forum on Monday and hopefully me and Holly together on Wednesday. Mick, are you back? So much for the do not disturb button. Oh, dear me. Oh, never mind. Okay, we've got a question from Bede. He says, question for Steve. Yeah. And Mick, what players would you keep in due time, of course? I mean, who would you say, you know, we're gonna you're gonna keep a hold of and try and build a team around if you if you know if if it was gonna be made, you know, decisions were gonna be made that quickly. Well, I mean, the obvious ones that I mean Callum Wilson, you know, we've we've talked about who um are players that they can do without and who they can't do without, and, and Callum Wilson's probably um the one who um, is the standout player at this minute in time. Allenson Maximum, likewise, you know, you, you could make a case for two or three others. I mean, Joe Willock has joined for a fair amount of money. So, you know, it would be it would be fair, unfair on, on, on Joe Willock to think that he was under pressure for his place. But it just depends where we go, Steve. You know, there are no guarantees in football. I mean, go, you know, going back to, to the Steve Bruce argument, um, never mind Steve Bruce, I've just talked about there that the prospect of bringing in an interim manager and then saying to them in three years' time, I'm sorry, you're not what we're looking for. Um, you need to move aside because we've got, for, for argument's sake, um, a Guardiola or a Klopp or a Wenger or a manager of those sorts of stature. So really, there, there, is, there is no room for sentiment, which is why I touched rather cynically on, on, the, on the statement earlier about how ironic is it that, you know, on the first day, of the first game with the new owners, suddenly Wilson's fit, Shelby's fit, Lascelles is fit, and Willock's available as well. You know, because they're all queuing up to be part of the party. They're all queuing up to be in the frame to keep their place um, at you know what is a you know to, to all intents and purposes at this minute in time the most talked about football club in, in the Premier League. But but who who stays and who goes? Is a, is a decision for, for the manager who is coming in, who we don't know who it is, um, but who is who is worth a spot. That depends what your standards um, uh, and, and, and how good a squad you've got, Steve. You know, Callum yeah. Wilson is a fine, fine player. Um, and I think I did hint at it in the summer um, that if I was one of the top six and I had a vacancy for either my number one striker or my number two striker, I may well take a gamble on him. The problem Callum Wilson's got in that respect um, is that his fitness keeps letting him down badly. Um, but even then, you know, would Callum Wilson walk into any one of the top six? If you, if, you, if you consider that that's where ultimately, ultimately, long, long way down the line, that's when Newcastle are aiming for, um, you're looking at a different pedigree of player, a completely different type of player, a different quality of player, which is why going back to what I mentioned earlier about Jonathan Woodgate, um, you know, Jonathan Woodgate, I think, was quite within his rights. And, and again, people are, are jumping up and down about, I can't believe Jonathan Woodgate said that. What Jonathan Woodgate has said is complete and utter reality at this minute in time that, that nobody, until they see 
that Newcastle are achieving what they want to achieve, that Newcastle are improving in the way that they want to improve, are looking as if they're going to be the contenders that they want to be. Nobody's going to nobody's going to jump ship from a, an Arsenal, a Chelsea, a Liverpool to go to, to to go to Newcastle until there are some sorts of guarantees. Uh, and the likes of say Harry Kane, uh, uh, you know, they will they will only go to to teams that guarantee them trophies because they've achieved those standards already. So you, you're sort of you're waiting and seeing, um, but it's gonna it's gonna be a long, long process, Steve. A long, long process. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's that's a great suggestion by Keith. He goes, 2027, the year that Newcastle will finally become Premier League champions, 100 years after the last time they won the top flight and were champions of England. Great shout. I've seen one or two other people uh, saying that to me. And, 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 you see, and you see, people will have a chuckle about that, Steve. But seriously, seriously, that's only six years down the line. Now, if you have a look at how long it took Manchester City to get the Etihad right to get their situation right to become the force and the dominance they are that's what you're talking about that's what you're talking about you know it 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 takes three four years and then maybe five or six you start breaking in and then six and seven onwards you are serious contenders season in season out but to say it doesn't happen overnight is the is, is the is it's the it's the understatement of all time steve you know yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. Um, patience is the key. Realistically, we're four or five transfer windows away from being somewhere near mm. where the consortium want us to be. Mm. Yeah, David, that's right. 100% right, mate. 100% and what right. will and and be interesting, Steve, is because we, are, we live in a society, Steve, where everybody wants something yesterday. Everybody wants something ASAP. We don't have the patience that we once had. We're not a nation. We're not a society. We're not a world because everything is immediate. News is immediate. You know, this, the, the, you know, this, this is why, you know, you know, everything's streamed. You know, let's put it this way, you know, line of duty where we'll stream all six episodes because people can't wait for next week's episode and we'll run the risk of them not watching it again. You know, media and entertain, entertainment in general have a real problem with the attention span of their audience these days. Everybody's trying to keep people focused in a world where suddenly this pings, that pings, this is happening, that's happening. I can do this. I can do that. I can do my banking online. I can do my shopping online. Everything's immediate. Everything is immediate these days. You don't have to wait and want for anything, basically. Now, can you imagine then throwing into the mix to the most passionate or one of the most passionate sets of football supporters in the world? Yes, the good news is you've got investment to the tune of billions, but I don't think you're going to see any returns for about five years. I mean, it's, you know, as I said before, 1500 sleeps to Christmas. It's 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 tough. It's tough to convince people that they've got to wait. I think I think what we need more than anything, Steve, and, and this is just me being wishful as much as anything, is, as you said, if there was to be a nice result on Sunday, which is no guarantee, and then they got a couple more results, then they went out and bought two or three eye catchers in, in January. And just by the, just by the end of this season, there was some sign of light at the end of the tunnel. But if this season meanders and if this season stops and starts and chops and changes uh, and all the and all the significant movements 
being done behind the scenes with training grounds, etc. It'll be interesting to see how football fans who are fickle at the best of times, but impatient always, always, how long they stick with it. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna start shouting Amanda out, are you? I mean, you're not you're not gonna do anything ridiculous like that. But at the same time, they will learn these people that you know, selling something to somebody or selling something to football fans in particular for the long run, for the long term, is not as easy as it might seem. Because the, the circles that businesses work in, it's absolutely normal. It's absolutely normal. Oh, we'll build a factory in Korea. It'll take five years, but imagine how much it'll grow the business. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll develop this tech uh, technology that might take five years but the revenue it's going to bring in will be fantastic. You can't do that with football. There's a human element to football. And where there's a human element in anything, people are impatient. 100%, mate. Um, who is mixed pick for my uh, next manager? Yeah. It's interesting. Last night was an interesting one. Was um, Somebody chucked in Roy Hodgson, said for a year until, you know, a lot of people seem to think that the managers will be more available during the summer than that they are now. The right mm. managers, that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, who would you pick, Mick, if Bruce did I, go tomorrow? I, to, to, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I could come up with a name off the top of my head. And I have sat down and thought about it. And, I, I, you know, I, I could, you can work with the, the, the... I think the two likely the two likeliest scenarios are um, a, a Gerard-type Lampard sort, or as you mentioned there, a father figure. Um, like a Hodgson, because what you what you're basically looking is you're looking for a short term custodian, aren't you? You're looking for somebody to look after it who doesn't necessarily have uh, ambitions beyond that. So in that respect, you probably are looking at an elder statesman. I mean, you know, dare I say it, somebody like Bobby would have been tailor made for this, wouldn't he? You know, somebody yeah. at the, somebody at the end of their career who's got the club at heart who doesn't just, you know, doesn't doesn't see himself being around in five, ten years' time, doesn't necessarily want to be around in five years' time. That's why the, the, the Gerard Lampard one is more difficult because, you know, if they got a feel for it, if they got a bit of taste of success, and then maybe you would have to say to them, look, we, we want to give you the gig. But, you know, in the, in the case of Lampard, you know, don't forget he's already managed at a level beyond Newcastle and has been shown the door by Chelsea for for whatever reasons. Steven Gerrard, I suppose you could argue, is 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 managing at probably the next level down. If you think that the Scottish Premier is more akin to the Championship than it is Premier League, so maybe he's a better bet. Um, but again, his I, th I think his CV wouldn't impress me quite even as much as as Lampard. So I, I don't I don't really know. It, it, it's, a, it's a really difficult one. And I suspect, Steve, that is probably why um, they're in no great hurry to relieve Steve Bruce of his duties. Because as I said right at the top of the programme, it would be rank stupid to get rid of somebody just to make the fans happy and just to be part of the process, et cetera, et cetera, unless you've got somebody lined up. So I suspect, I suspect behind the scenes, they're still finalising their ideas they're still thinking long and hard about who they want to bring in, but more importantly, who they can bring in, who's available. Hodgson isn't the daftest shout in the world, to be honest with you. But the thing with Roy Hodgson is, I think he called it a day at Crystal Palace because he called it a day because he'd had enough. Um, now, does he want to come back into the goldfish bowl of Newcastle United, where, as we've said already, 
you know, the eyes of the world are on you because, you know, going back to Steve Bruce, um, you know, good news doesn't sell newspapers. Good news doesn't make stories. It, it's all about, you know, the bad news. It's all about the, the, the shock horror probe stuff. Um, and people are waiting for Newcastle to fail. People are, new, you know, are waiting to stick the knife into Newcastle. So do you want to be part of that? I don't think so. Are you what, a fan of directors of football? We've seen, you know, one or two names linked in that respect and, you know, having somebody overseeing it. Are you a fan of that? I think I'm a fan of directors of football if, if the director of football has a relationship with the manager. If the director of football is genuinely somebody who commands respect. I mean, let's put it this way. I mean, again, this is completely off the top of my head. But if they brought Kevin Keegan in as director of football at Newcastle and gave the job to Steven Gerrard off the top of my head, that would work for me. That would work for me because I think you'd have a director of football who commands respect, a director of football who knows the football club um, and a manager who respects the director of football. The reason I think about that and the reason I've and, and I might be completely wrong on this, but I do know there is some basis for this. Uh, Chris Hewton left Nottingham Forest not long ago after they appointed a director of football who was appointed by the owners, um, who I think was about 30-something years of age. Uh, not sure what his experience was, not sure what his CV was. Um, but clearly, you know, you, you can't have a director of football who tells somebody like Chris Hewton what's right and what's wrong, what's football and what's not football. You know, it, it, you've got to get the relationship right between... The director of football, more often than not for me, is somebody who is the eyes and the ears of the board or the owner with regard to the football side of things. That's all he is, the eyes and the ears. He's the guy who reports back and says, oh, did you know this is going on on the training ground? You know, this is like the Daily... He's like the Daily Mail snitch at the training ground, you know? Um, it, you know, the, the directors of football, when they work, they work well, but they don't work that well, and they don't work that well that often either. So I, I wouldn't say I'm a great fan, but if you can get it right, I can see the advantages of it, because managers have enough on their plate at this minute in time without worrying about the politics of the football club. They are basically the go-between between um, the powers that be and the footballing side of things. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Amos says, the journey we are going on starts tomorrow. We all get on the bus and thoroughly yeah. enjoy the ride. Support the team as we always have, along with the regime, who we can be proud of. How are the lads? Uh, I'm sure the sentiments are uh, joined by a lot of people. Tom says, Mick, Keegan gets Newcastle, but he's nowhere near qualified enough to be a director of football. Mm -hmm. Keegan is an ambassador, though. So a little bit of a different opinion there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that, I mean that depends what, what you, how, you, how you constitute and how you define a director of football. I, I know what he's saying. Um, and if a director of football is somebody who sits down and crunches numbers um, and does deals um, and talks through balance sheets, then I agree. Then I agree. But I think that I think, you know, going back to the, the case at Nottingham Forest, you, you do have to have a director of football who's got a, you know, has got a feel for football as well, who understands football and has to have a relationship with it. If you've got a, if you're going to have to have a relationship with the manager, you're going to have to have some sort of foot. You can't just be an accountant. I mean, that's what happens more often than not. 
you know, directors of football are basically just glorified accountants um, who are keeping an eye on the balance sheet, making sure the manager doesn't spend too much money. And as I say, reporting back um, to the powers that be. So it's a very it's a very fine line. It's a it's a very amorphous uh, title director of football nobody quite knows what it means as i say on the rare occasions that it works it sounds great and everybody jumps on board and then they realize it's actually a really really difficult relationship to garner between a director of football and the board at one end and the footballing side of the things at the other because both are suspicious of the other Yes, I would agree. Uh, I think it must be uh, a good working relationship between director and football and the manager. For the manager should give a list of players he wants to work with. Director of football does the business side of the contract, says uh, Jordy Toon for life. And Blue Moon Boy says, we need to go for a director of football who is at Monaco and Lille. So lots, of, lots of suggestions. Glenn Hoddle says Steve McNamara, another name mm. chucked into the pot. Um, let's look ahead to tomorrow's game. Then Newcastle take on Tottenham Hotspur in James's Park, four thirty kickoff. As Mitch mentioned earlier, uh, we almost have a full, fully fit squad with uh, Lascelles and surprise, Shelby and surprise. Wilson coming back. Uh, only Paul Dummett and Dubravka not available, I think, tomorrow. So um, yeah, and Spurs come up uh, not at the greatest to start. They're in transition. They've got a new manager in place, and Harry Kane hasn't been firing on all cylinders, but. I think we all know he'll probably get the goal tomorrow for Spurs. Um, what's your take, Mick? How do you see it going? Um, well, my initial thought is, and I think I said it two weeks ago, that, you know, you know, well, certainly after the takeover, you know, yes, they could lose to Tottenham. They could lose to Crystal Palace. They could lose to Chelsea. It, it won't be the end of the world. And, and I think you've, in the back of your mind, I think we've got to store that one away. I think we've got to say to ourselves, it is going to be a fantastic afternoon. You know, I mean, you, you had BC and you had AD with regard to Christ. You know, we've now got AA. You know, we've got Newcastle United after Ashley. You know, we, we it, it is it is a new it is a new dawning. Uh, it is a new regime. It's a it's a it's a it, it's a new chapter in Newcastle's history. But it isn't going to change immediately. And I think we need to store away in the back of our consciousness the the thought that there's every chance that they could lose the game of football. You're right. They're not what they were Tottenham. Uh, they're certainly not playing as well um, as they have been in, re in recent seasons. Now, whether that's down to a change of owner, whether it's down to the, 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 the sort of upset that was created by the Kane situation in the summer. Um, but in Kane and Son, you, you've got, as for me, as as good a strike pairing, as good a pairing as, as any. I love Son's work ethic. I love Kane's, you know, work ethic. They're both, I mean, Kane in particular is an incredible finisher. And and if you think that Newcastle's biggest, biggest weakness is undoubtedly defence um, and the fact that they just get run ragged left, right and centre by teams and have been for, 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 for most of the last couple of years. And that isn't going to change overnight. You know, that they, they may well be lifted by the crowd. They may well up their game 10% because the new owners are in the stand and they want to make an impression, whatever. But 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 players don't become great players just because there are new owners in the in the stadium and because 52,000 are screaming and roaring in a way that they've never heard a crowd roar before. Um, and believe me, the, the the other thing as well is don't forget uh, you know other players 
Harry Kane will be, believe it or not, Harry Kane will be as lifted by 52,000 screaming Geordies as Newcastle will be. They're big game players. Son is a big game player. You know, sometimes the opposition feed off the atmosphere just as much as, as, as the home players do as well. So, as I say, you know, don't worry. Don't worry if they get beaten in the game. I think as long as we see signs of improvement, and most of all, most of all, just enjoy the day. Just enjoy the day. 14 days, with 14 years, sorry, we've waited for, for a game without Mike Ashley's figure in the stand or Mike Ashley's shadow over the top of, uh, of St. James's Park. So, you know, let, let's enjoy it. Let's just think about what's going to happen in the long term and not worry so much about tomorrow. I think tomorrow should be all about the spectacle. I think tomorrow should be all about it, it, it's day one. It's day one. And nothing ever happens on day one. You know, if they were to get a win, the place would be absolutely bouncing. And not only bouncing tomorrow night, probably bouncing for about a fortnight. So, you know, best case scenario, it's liftoff. Worst case scenario, yes, they lose the game. But we get a reminder of what St. James's used to be like back in the day. You know, when the entertainers used to used to turn out and, and everything was... Everything was right with the world. Everything was happy. So, you know, let, let's just wait and see. But it promises, it promises to be a great, great day. Quick prediction, Mick. Um, I tell you what, it, I tell you what it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on the fence and go for a two-two draw. I think we'll score. I honestly think we'll score. I think if Wilson's playing um and Shelby's playing, I think we'll score. But I always think we're gonna concede. But I think a two-two draw. Uh, in a hell of an atmosphere, could be a nice way to start uh, the, the new chapter. Great stuff, Mick. As always, good to have you on and hopefully catch up with you at some point tomorrow, mate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care, pal. Cheers, pal. Thank you. Bye-bye.